This is episode one with singer-songwriter and Piano Push Play founder Megan Diana, who also created the music for the show. Have you ever wondered how do artists come up with ideas for their next painting? How do CEOs disrupt industries? How do chefs combine unexpected ingredients? Where do leaders find their strength and courage? Well, you've come to the right place. Magical Humans is about to make you feel seen and connected on a whole other level. My name is Vania Vananina. I'm an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Thank you, Megan, for being here. I'm super excited. This is the recording of the first episode, and you're such a special magical human. Thank you, Vanya. I feel the same way about you. Love fest. Girl crush. But it's true. Girl crush. <laughs> human crush. Human crush. Yes. yes. Human crush. Multidimensional human crush. <laughs> yes. I have a few, a few questions to ask. And yeah, just I hope they bring up interesting memories. Happy memories or like a fail that you're like, that was a big lesson or, you know. So... Please tell our audience, like I, I've known you a bit, but tell, please tell us what do you do. I currently run a project called Piano Push Play, where I get all these old pianos donated to me and I find artists and they recreate them, they revamp them, they turn them into new works of art. And then I put them on the street for people to play in the summer during, during the summer times of, of Portland. Portland, Oregon. Yes, correct. <laughs> but, you know, when that's not happening, that's kind of a, a six month of that's like a part time year job, you know, although you're constantly in the off season in the hibernation season of pianos, I'm still, you know, working on what new things I could do for the next year and talking to new artists and stuff. Um, when I'm not really actively working on that, I'm doing, you know, my own music. And I write music for short films and, you know, feature length films and uh, podcasts and play shows and um, do all kinds of interesting hustles. But I'm thankful that they all usually have to do something with like, music or creativity or working with other people that I, I admire. So I have the perspective to realize that almost anything I work on I, is important to me. And um, that's a really lucky place to be in. It sounds so fun. I mean, I know you and I've worked with you, collaborated with you. And it's, I know it's, it's, it's the hustle, you know, and sometimes there's a lull, but then there's like go time and it's like, oh my God, where am I going to get all this energy to make this happen? But then you do. That's why you're such a magical human. You know, people and things and the projects that I work on all give me energy. And, you know, of course, sometimes they equally, you know, drain it. <laughs> But then the end always pays off. You know, when I see people interacting with these pianos, you know, strangers interacting or like teaching each other a song or just saying like to another stranger, well, thank you. And then walking on, you know, because they appreciate just some beautiful piece of music in their everyday life, um, you know, and I don't even have to come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, hi, yeah. guys, I made this whole situation impossible <laughs> for you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, you know, I'm just watching from a corner or something. And, you know, that seeing that uh, interaction 
is what makes it all worth it. All that hard work of like trying to figure out calling the movers and calling the tuner to get out there and the whole struggle of making it happen every year. All that, those seeing those moments of magic happen is what makes doing it totally worth it. So, yeah. So Piano Push Play is such a special project. So tell us how, how did it start? So I would say in 2011, I suppose, yes. This is late summertime in Portland, and I was downtown with friends seeing a show in Al's Den, which is like underground. And, And we come out of this, you know, basement bar of this show, and we are right outside 13th and Burnside, which is like the convergence of like five or six streets and it's, um, you know, Burnside's already really busy, but there's um, there's that street corner there that has those Zubom bikes all chained to a big pole. And I saw this cello player playing on that street corner with a loop pedal, playing this gorgeous music right in the middle of the super urban environment. And he was just, he was transforming that street corner into something completely different and beautiful. And we all stopped and we all listened to him for a little bit. And then I remember walking on with these friends and being like, wow, that's that was so amazing. I wish I could do that. But I'm a piano player and that's a little harder to do. And they were like, oh, yeah, that would be really cool. And, you know, and then we all just like, like got onto another subject because I'm sure we all were like, oh, that's never going to happen. But I just I couldn't stop thinking about that idea of just doing that once um, and also coming out. You know, and I have to say, you know, sometimes street performers aren't the most pleasant experience, (laughs) but, you know, it's really that beautiful, like when they're good and they're just taking a space and turning it into a stage and transforming a street corner and taking you out of your like, oh, I was just walking home or I was just walking to that restaurant or whatever. And like, I'm going to stop and like appreciate this moment and like, you know, and and you have your own moment in your life that, you know, maybe that that memory will like stay within you forever who knows but I couldn't stop thinking about oh I just want to bring I just want to do one little concert there and the more I thought about it I don't know how but I think I was biking by one day and I was like wait there's there's a piano store just a couple blocks away from 13 the Murdside and at the time I was kind of getting back into studying music I was going to PSU I was thinking I was going to get a graduate degree in music and I was I was thinking I was also in the market to buy my first piano as an adult, which I was like, I don't know how I'm going to even afford anything, <laughs> but I went to do this piano store, Portland Piano Co. And I started kind of making friends and just asking and, and really like laying on thick, like I'm a student, like what pianos do you have that are even like, you know, not even $4,000, which are the cheap ones mm-hmm. on their, on their showroom floor. And they brought this wonderful woman, brought me up to their attic and was like, oh, here are like 20 different old uprights and the way we work and most piano stores work is when you buy a nice nicer new piano we'll haul away your old one and actually like once a year twice a year we have like a fire sale and we sell them for like 50 to 100 dollars and I was like what okay I didn't know that and I will be when's when's your next one okay I'm gonna buy myself piano can you sorry to interrupt can you tell the audience what is an upright piano yes it's like it's the big classic tall it's about they're usually about five feet tall big boxes that that's classically what a lot of people had in their homes at the turn of the century like the sign of being like middle class and also you know if you were gonna listen to music you had to make it yourself you couldn't just turn on your uh, all the devices 
to just instantly have music. You know, like people got together and they all knew how to play something and they would like make music together. So they were really um, cheap. So they were really cheap. And then I was like, hey, well, I have um, I have this idea and I'm going to school at PSU and maybe I can get some other friends of mine that go to school with me um, to play this concert on that street corner of the block. Like right there, we can see it from your door. Do you ever even rent pianos that size? But you like, would that be okay? And and this one was like, oh, of course we do that. Like, we we rented the symphony all the time. But you know what? We like that idea, and we'll mount a piano on a dolly for you. And when you want, you can push it up the street and play for people. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. I'll okay. I guess I will do that. And. And I remember, like, that was, like, in the fall of 2011 that we kind of came up with this idea that the next summer I was going to do that. And I remember being in class at PSU or, like, being in the practice rooms and, like, knocking on a door and asking people, like, oh, my God, you're really good. Would you, you know, I'm doing this thing in a couple months <laughs> on, tw- on tw- 13th and Burnside. Would you come out and play for me and play with me, you know, just that song, that, like, rock mountain enough, like, amazing thing that you just played. And a lot, it's, it was interesting that first year that a lot of people were like, I, I need three more months to perfect this piece. I can't, I can't possibly do that. You know, like I literally had to find a couple like music, music school dropouts that were kind of like unafraid to just play for people. Do you think it was the fact that they were studying towards a musical degree that they were so I think, self-conscious? Oh, yes. I think you get into that very classical, very competitive world, and you start to think about the performing like you're at a jury recital every time and that everybody in the world listens to you like that. And were you like, this is just a corner piano concert for the community? Yeah, no, like people, it really, that first year, it ended up being that me and like two people came out and would play a couple like, you know, jazz, jazzy songs and, and, and sing around and all that different stuff. And I remember being like, we decided on a date that we were going to do it like in June or something. And I remember it like rained that day. And I was like, Brenda, oh, my gosh, we were going to do it today. What's going to happen? Like, oh, my God, I don't think we can. And she's like, well, nobody really knows because we were going to do it totally secret. And yeah, she, yeah. Was like, like, um, she was like, well, just do it next week. Like nobody knew or that you were going to like push this piano up you, the thing. Correct. You know, so really, <laughs> so basically that first summer, 2012, it was me and a couple of friends that every Thursday in I think July and August would grab this piano, push it up the street, play for people for like, you know, three hours. Mm-hmm. We had this whole like little routine and then we would push it back. And, and people, you know, for the first time ever, if I was playing, like a couple of people would like walk by and be like, thank you so much. Mm. Like, that was really beautiful. Thank you. Like, I had never in any kind of musical experience I had had ever really had people come by and, like, thank me mm. for playing for them. It was a special moment it was for a re- Yeah, it was a really special moment. And for moment. you, too. But, you know, Absolutely. You, you had an idea, you had a purpose, and mm-hmm. I love this. This is why I love Piano Push Play so much, because you created those experiences for them that were completely... They came out of the blue. They were not expecting it. Maybe they were running errands. Yeah. Maybe they had just lost someone. Yeah. Maybe they having a bad day. Maybe they were feeling good for the. I don't know. Like everyone has a different world, you know. And mm-hmm. tell us more. So I mean that. So that was the first summer, you know. Um. And and because I had become friends with this piano store and learned about how they work and that they had all these pianos, they weren't even putting on their showroom floor. It wasn't even worth it to sell them, resell them. Um, I had heard, 
I had heard about these public piano installments in other cities. Like I had heard of this artist, Luke Jerem, who was, I think, the first person to really do it. Like who doesn't even play piano himself, but he's just this amazing English artist who does big, large scale installations of all kinds of interesting things. And I think, you know, probably about like 15 years ago was the first person to really do it. Mm-hmm. I think not in New York, but I think maybe in England somewhere. Anyway, um, so I'd heard about them loosely and I, I was like, you know what? I don't want to wait for one. I went to the piano store. I was like, I don't want to, I've heard about these installments. I don't want to wait for one to come here. If you give me five of these pianos next summer and I figure out every detail, like how I'm going to find the money to move them around, who's going to paint them, every, where are they going to go? Every, I, every um, detail, you know, could I have five of them next summer? And they said yes. And that's really how like the, the project as it is today started. Because note, moving a piano <laughs> is very expensive. Yes. And it takes, you know, special equipment mm-hmm. and people. And it's not like, oh, I'm just going to move this TV. So Yeah. No, I mean, you need two professional movers that actually like they can get it done really quick because they know how to do this whole like balancing of the weight and get it on a dolly real quick and move it all everywhere safely. Mm-hmm. But you can't just have like some volunteers like move like a 500 pound big old boxy thing. So, I mean, you know, you know, when people ask, like, what are the costs involved? It's like, I can get so much of it donated. I can get these pianos donated. You know, artists are donating their time. Like, a lot of people, sometimes you can get some tunings donated, but, like, moving and tuning these are the main expense. And it adds up really quick when it's $100 a move. Mm-hmm. And they're going, there's 10 of them. And they go to, like, three locations each And summer. also they change, Megan can explain that, but these <laughs> yeah. pianos, they're, they just don't go to a, a corner. They move around the city. Mm-hmm. So more people are exposed yeah. to this art installation mm-hmm. and the musical experience. So it adds up. So that was the first the first time mm-hmm. it happened. Mm-hmm. And what, who else was involved? Like, where did you put them? So I remember, okay, so when it was, you know, finally, and and... I remember people just being like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this with your time? You know, like, because it was like a lot of just for like three or four years I lived when I wasn't in, you know, whatever part-time or full-time job I was doing completely outside of music or this project. I was like living in coffee shops, like reaching out to like people or whatever to do this or do that. But um, I remember I had, I had joined, I had joined an organization called Awesome Portland, which gives out micro grants. Actually, I hadn't joined them yet. I was a musical guest at one of their grant parties. Um, so I was playing my own music and I saw what they did, which was every two months, these people got together. They had f- picked five finalists who had written into them and said, this is my project. Mm-hmm. Something I want to do in Portland. It's going to make it more awesome. And this is the budget. And they would, you know, they would have a party where they brought those five finalists from however many pool, you know, maybe 70 yeah. people had a idea. They chose five. They would have a party, and each person got three minutes to explain their idea. And then this board, this organization, would get together and vote and then give out, here's $1,000 cash. Go do it. We're going to trust you to do it. And you're like, hello. I would <laughs> and like I was some back, of that. I was in the back, you know, like playing the piano. <laughs> and and suddenly like, you're like, you're in the back, I, and then, you know, just like start moving your piano. You're closer, closer. <laughs> and then you're like, yes, hello. I would like some of the cash. Yes. No, I literally that evening went to the board president and was like, hey, I have a project that I'm going to apply for next round. So just 
Be watching for it. I already knew I was just going to put one on 13 The Burnside. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to some people down at the Rose Festival Foundation patio. Mm -hmm. So I had found kind of some locations that were willing to like, okay, I'll host a piano for two weeks. That was the first. Mm -hmm. We're just going to put it down for two weeks and then it's going to be gone. Um, I applied for an awesome grant. I got chosen as a finalist. And this was probably um, three months before, you know, July in 2013. So pretty kind of close, like. Because that would have been, this would have been the only money coming in for this. $1,000 for five pianos to go to some locations. I get to the finalists. um, We all do our pitches. And I don't win. I didn't know that. But I go back and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to reapply. Boom. Yeah. Making it happen. I'm going to like, because I literally have no idea how I'm going to pay for these movers. Like I have five pianos and they've already been moved, you know, like. So I, I reapply. And I, again, I get to be a finalist and like a week before these pianos are sent to be out. So I like had already done all this work. I didn't even know if I was going to get this grant. I, I, for the second time applied, became a finalist, pitched it. And I won like with a, a week before the pianos were set to go out. So I was like, thank gosh, this thousand dollars came through so I could actually like pay the movers. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I want to point Mm-hmm. Uh, like big kudos because you're like okay I failed uh, like I'm just gonna get back again and gonna do it again because I have this project and this dream mm-hmm. and I love that I love to hearing those stories because you could have been like oh yeah I had this idea and then it all worked out and da 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 no mm-hmm. so my question is did you do anything differently when you applied for it the I, second time I did I, th- I can't remember actually kind of what the format was the first time I applied I, I mean it was about putting pianos out but I do remember that the second time I reapplied it was like I can do everything I I can absolutely do almost everything related, but but this specific cost that you have to hire specific people for, you know, which is either moving professional piano moving or tuning. I'm sorry. I don't know how to tune a piano. So literally like a week before this thing that like I I just gone ahead after losing the first time. I'm like, I'm still going to make it happen. I guess I'm going to reapply, but I'm also just going to like you know, call every tuner in the phone book and see if maybe, you know, I can get five tunings out of calling a hundred people. Correct. Literally. And getting, again, my roommates, like I would be the person in the, in the beginning, they were, they weren't at all transformed the way they are today. I literally, I was probably the one just doing a a base coat of like spray paint, some fun color all over a piano. And then having my friend who just would just say, please play me. Yeah. And, and oh, on a couple different ones. That is a big thing and a super cute thing about these pianos. All of them, the only requirement is that they say, please play me. Mm-hmm. And this can be painted vinyl and added thing. But that says, please play me. So people feel encouraged to come and touch it and play it, even if they're not musicians, but just like, mm-hmm. you know, playing the keys and having this mm-hmm. experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the way they were decorated in the beginning was like me spray painting, you know, the whole piano itself and then getting a f- couple friends that could like had some pretty lettering and just le- like hand please lettering. Play me. Exactly. That was it, you know, that first year. And but luckily, you know, what I've learned throughout the whole thing about, you know, hearing no the first time, you got to let it wa- wash off your back and you just keep moving forward cuz you know, over time you learn it's it's kind of a numbers game slash, you know. So they so they said, "No, I'm going to go find a yes." Okay, I, you know, like, the, I know what the main goal is, but Correct. like, you know, just this one no is not going to stop me from getting there. Yes. You know, that's a huge life thing that I've learned. And also, like, don't be afraid to just do it. Tell anybody an idea. I mean, thank gosh that 
Brenda, who's the magical human being from Portland Bianco, was like, you know, we like this idea and we'll actually help you make it happen. But I never in a million years thought that they were going to be that into it. Let's go. You know, we'll get that piano on a dolly. And yeah, you can just go up there and, and play for people. And, you know, so so more and more now after, you know, eight years of working on this kind of stuff and just um, not being afraid to just be like, you know, there, there are logical steps. There are completely logical steps to get to any crazy idea. There really are, you know, you just, you just got to do them all like one at a time and like, and don't lose determination. Don't lose determination. You... I know, you know, and it's probably a big, long journey to get there. But again, there are all these little things that you can do today. You can start to like figure out the elements that are going to get you there. And I believe. it's so worth it. I'm so grateful that you and your friends <laughs> had that idea, that you had the courage to go and like, hey, mm -hmm. I have this idea. Yeah. I'm grateful for Brenda, yeah. all your friends that helped you in the beginning, yeah. people at I mean, Portland. I mean, another little insight was that I, I reached out to the Portland Art Museum, I think that mm -hmm. in that first year. And actually, I think it was we had a piano at Portland Saturday Market. And within like a couple of days, they were like, we don't like it. You need to take it. You need to remove it because it's really, you know, at night, there's all these people that are congregating around. Right I don't remember what the exact thing was, wow. but they didn't want it and they wanted me to move it. And so last minute, I was like, where's a place in Portland I could go and drop mm. this piano? And I literally, like, got on the internet and tried to find, like, who could I talk to at the Portland Art Museum? And somehow found Rob Bearden, who was the director of operations. Like, maybe that's the right person. And I sent him a big, long email about, like, this is what I want to do. Can I bring a piano and put it somewhere on the property? And before – um. Like not even an hour later, like he calls me back and was like, we love, I love this idea and we'll, we'll take a piano as long as you want to give it to us for oh. So we got that piano from Portland Saturday Market and brought it there. But then he turned out to be such a integral part of propelling this project even further. And so, you know, within a year it was like, well, we'll be your fiscal sponsor, but why don't we hold like a kickoff in our courtyard, you know? And that is like now our big annual kickoff of the year where everybody gets to see all the pianos at once. Tell us some of your uh, favorite pianos over these seven years. Like what or crazy designs or things that you were like, that was so popular or people engaging with it. I don't know, like, yeah, things. I mean, I, I, I mean, I one of the really simple ones in the beginning and I remember it was an You know, that first year I got that grant from Austin Portland, and then the next year they sponsored another piano, and they have their kind of logo, which is this bright green color with, you know, like this little bird on it. So it had, like, the Austin Portland logo on the back, and then it was just like – and we put it in Pioneer Courthouse Square, and it was just so arresting bright. <laughs> and bright and simple and, like, you know, just – Sometimes it, less is more. It is. I have to say I love – Yours, oh, thank which was you. again like another beautiful, like arresting piece that was just, like Aww. had energy, like just flying off it, you know. But I also loved the one that ZGF Architects did for me, which oh was yeah, a, that, was that a crazy... baby baby grand that was for Elise, like the monster of for Elise. Like they had this whole story going behind it, which was like you know the fact that like Beethoven wrote this song when he was angry, and so like the piano bench had a bite taken out of it and was decoupaged in furly sheet music and there was like the, the instead of this, instead like, of saying please play me it had these little eyeballs coming out of the hair uh -huh. that were this is crazy like had the opening lines the notes da -da -da -na 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 -na. 
that for Elise theme had these were these little eyeballs coming out and like placed like uh, where like the, the notes would be on yes the yes it was so music sheets so <gasps> yeah I've seen I didn't thorough. I didn't see it in person but I've seen pictures and it's amazing crazy yeah avant-garde I don't know super yes it was amazing that's one that's beautiful lucid design is an amazing design company I remember they gave us this one and it had plexiglass in the front so you could see the keys, which people really love, I think. Because um, it's just so, it's a it's a fascinating instrument. It, it is, is such a complex machine. It, it is, is incredible. Um, so to, be, to get this, to see the keys moving, you know, while you're, while you're, you know, playing it. And then um, on the bottom is like this Thelonious Monk quote called, you know, the piano ain't got no wrong notes. Mm. And like, it's just like, it's it's beautiful. It has a lot of sheet music on the back. It's, you know, like, and it, so it it's cool. it's gorgeous. And somebody else also did one that was plexiglass in front, and then they painted the keys, wow. um, the hammers that, that you're looking at, like 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 rainbow colors. And and then the rest those. the rest of the piano is like black and white, and it says just play me something beautiful. So you'll be able to see all of these pictures on our blog post and also Piano Push Play, Instagram, all these amazing artists. Well, now I'm gonna tell my story. When I, when, yeah, when I started visiting Portland, I saw a piano on the street and I'm like, wow, that that's so cool. And it was like a simple piano, but then someone was playing it. And at that time I was in a uh, healing through many, many things in my personal life. And it just brought me this peaceful, joyful, special moment. And I keep seeing them and I'm like, oh, this must be a Portland thing. Because, you know, Portland has this unique quality as a city of weird and unique things. And I'm like, oh, this must be a Portland thing. And, but then, like, as the years kept passing, I'm like, oh, wait, these pianos are getting cooler and cooler, like more colors or more intricate in different places. Like I would see them in parks or like, I don't know, in the city. I'm like, okay, so this is a pattern. There must be someone behind this. So I went into the interwebs and I, I went into Piano Push Play's page and read all these things. And I'm like, okay, so it is a thing and there's someone organizing this. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to reach out to her and then life happened. And then I came to find that there was this kickoff concert every summer to start the season where all the pianos would be in the same place at once and they were playing it and I'm like that's so cool so then the summer of 2017 we're like let's go to it's in the Portland Art Museum and it was packed and I I'm like okay I need to talk to her so I'm like Juan please wait here I need to go and make it happen so Megan was literally against the wall and I'm like hey Megan this is my card I'm an artist I'm so grateful for the work you do I love it thank you this has been so special and I remember even in that sea of people she looked me in the eye and she was like thank you this means a lot I will I will get in touch and I was just like I I felt so special in that moment because she made me feel seen she's like Yes, let's connect. Thank you for this. And then at the beginning of uh, 2018, I was like, oh, uh, I think I was following her and she posted something about like, oh, pianos are starting to come in or something. So I emailed her this super long email, just pouring my heart. I was so nervous. I'm like, what if she never replies? 
So Megan replies with this super long email and she's like, Vanya, thank you for sharing the, your story. This is so special. This is why I do this. Uh, I would be honored if you could paint a piano. Let's let's make it happen like you're in. It just made my day and my week and my month when I'm like, ah, I'm painting a piano. And I love color and patterns and bright, unique things and art installations. So it was something very special. Anyway, fast forward, I get the piano and I was actually in Ensenada visiting my family. And so I came back and I just didn't do anything to the piano for like two weeks because I was, I didn't know how to approach it. It's a big, upright, yeah. uh, big boxy yeah. thing. And it had these beautiful, intricate details mm-hmm. on the wood. And I was like, oh, I want to make it all pretty, but also I don't want to, I, I just, you know, doubting myself. And uh, eventually I started like power sanding it. And it was amazing how it was transformed like night by night. And for me, it was just, it came from within. So I went in to the studio on early morning Wednesday and I left the studio like at noon on Thursday me and my husband, who is a super trooper. And then off it went, the piano. And then my mom came for the concert. It was really special. Megan asked me to say some words and address the crowd. And it it was a very uh, magical moment. And I'm grateful for you, for the work you do, for giving me the chance. Of course. And I I love you so much. (laughs) So you are a singer-songwriter. Yes. And you just released your... My first full-length album. Yes, Mm -hmm. which has beautiful art. Thank you. And also your Grandma Mac on the cover. Yes. It's it's called Women in My Head, and I wrote all these songs for important women in my life. My sister-in-law, my grandma, my mom. And then, you know, a lot of me, a lot of me in my head, you know, all the different versions of yourself that you're like— thinking I'm, I'm this way. No, I'm that way. Or like, you know, the ver- various versions you go through when you're in relationships or when out, out of relationships, all that stuff. So yeah. And, and my, my sweet grandma Mac is on the cover. I That's so her. sweet. So Megan has this amazing gift, her voice. She's a songbird. And when you hear her voice, there's like, there's it's like before and after. And for me, my my personal experience hearing your music, the first time I heard you sing actually was on that piano concert this summer. Yeah. And I was just speechless because <laughs> it's so it's so powerful. And there's one song, Night Ride. I, I think Night Ride was the one you I think that's one of, yeah, that's the one that you played. I didn't form. And yeah. just like I couldn't believe it. And it keeps opening and then I don't know, it has such a sweet melody and the words would you uh, honor us with a little bit of that yeah let me think okay coming out of nowhere breaking through the cold night air i ain't got a light but it's all right yeah i don't care i don't want to see you you don't want to see me but i don't want to go home when i know that you're not there Oh, thank you. I just love it. Mm-hmm. And then um, the release of your album was you had like a, a full orchestra, right? Yes. Yes. I, you know, big projects, they take time. And I worked on the album just recording it for about, you know, um, you know, some of those songs were started, you know, five years ago, the recording process. 
So I would say, you know, I was working on it for five years because I really had this idea that I wanted my first thing out in the world to be like as good as they possibly could make it. And like every, every tiny part of every song, which could have 160 little tracks on it, you know, or something had to be perfect. And everything down to your beautiful outfit that night, (laughs) it was inside an old church, the musicians, everything. It was, it was, I know I. I want to, I'm going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen again. But um, yeah. And then just getting to that night was a whole other, you know, 10 months of a process because I, I could have, I could have had a, a small little release show and like played solo or played with a four piece band. But you know, the no. album, the album itself is very orchestral because I play French horn and I do all these other things. And, you know, I just wanted to present it to an audience the way that they would be hearing it, you know, when they bought the album in their car or at home when they're listening to it. So I applied for a grant. We, you know, actually I had sourced 16 musicians to be in the choir or the brass or the string section along with a core band. And we had, you know, three rehearsals and then we did that show. And which was yeah. amazing. Thank you. And it was the culmination of like realizing, wow, I I I've been working on this thing, this this new part of my musical life because I'd grown up doing music, mm-hmm. classical music, vocal jazz, musicals, choirs, all that stuff. I had never really thought I'm a songwriter or oh, what do I sound like mm-hmm. if it's my voice, not choir voice, musical theater voice, jazz, you know, all that stuff. So this, the last, you know, eight years of my life has been like starting late in life <laughs> at like 26. I think I, I think I really started writing songs to, to, to know what I, what, what I sound like and what, what stories do I have to tell and all that stuff. I want to know what was the toy that you always wanted, but never had a Barbie car. I wanted, I wanted like one of those little like that convertible cars. or like the Jeep or e- either one, the a little RV. car, a little car to drive around. I thought those were so cool. What song do you use to hype you up? I mean, it changes right now. I'm listening to a Dua Lipa song mm-hmm. called um, Blow Your Mind. Blow Your Mind. Okay. Dinner with one person dead or alive. I mean, I would love to meet. Um, I love Tilda Swinton. Mm. She's like a dream person human to me she's a magical (laughs) being I don't even know if she's human I think she's (laughs) like um but she seems so so singular Mm -hmm. and interesting and you know like I and I I love her acting what is a moment when you feel magical you know when I am up there singing singing my songs (laughs) And it's going well, or like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy with how things sound and I actually can, you know, you're happy with how things sound. So then you stop to, you stop thinking mm-hmm. about that and you're just, you know, expressing what you were writing and all that stuff. That's a really magical when you get to like, you know, everything is under control because you've played it a million times or something, but you're just like there and you're not worried about what the drummer's doing or yeah. not that you, luckily I play with amazing people when I get to play in like a bigger group than just myself, but, but up there playing. I've been really enjoying playing solo recently. What is a day in the life for you? I get up every morning, no matter what, I, t- I take a shower because that's how I just love to wake up and mm-hmm. like, it just helps me to feel like 
I'm alive. I'm ready, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I usually, I usually go to a coffee shop and work for an hour or two to like just catch up on whatever things need to be caught up on. And then it's usually like I have errands to do. Like I have to, this afternoon, I'm going to have to go pick up this mic that I'm going to use for filming a shoot tomorrow. And I'm dropping off my Christmas present for a friend, but it usually involves like probably a meeting with somebody about something, you know, like let's, let's do this collaboration. Let's, you know, do this little activation or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's usually involves emailing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) involves meeting or talking to people about Mm -hmm. like, what are we doing in the future for this? Um, And then I always try to go for a swim or I go for a walk at some point in the day, Mm -hmm. which is also where I listen to my podcast. And then usually like a couple hours of like, I'm either just like, it's a rehearsal or working on new songs, definitely playing and singing for at least an hour, if not a couple. And I mean, and on a day where I might have a show or rehearsal, like at night, you're usually like, you're, you're going to a venue, you have a sound check, you have, you know, you're there for four or five hours just to go and play for 30 or 40 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, or you go and you rehearse for a couple hours with your band or, or I play in other bands. So yeah. It depends, right? On the... Yeah. But those are elements that definitely happen on a almost everyday basis. What is the best advice someone gave you? Follow through. If you make a commitment to doing something, like... Just make sure you, yeah, you 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 do what you say you're gonna do. I mean, I I can't think of a time where like, if I when I did that in the end I regretted it, and that could, that doesn't go to just commitments, but like ideas. Like mm-hmm. oh, I had again, I now yeah, see, or- I now see that the fact like <laughs> that I had this idea and I kind of said yes, and somebody gave me the opportunity to do it. Like I could have like just said no, that's too weird. Like some people probably might have been like. Oh, I don't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like putting myself out there on the street. But but I, you know, again, you never quit. Are you familiar with grief? Have you have you lost special people in your life? I did lose my grandma Mac a year ago in September. I have to say that it's like when she passed, she had just a month before. It was her 80th birthday. And everybody My, all my aunts and uncles, all my cousins were all together and we all had a big birthday party for her at her home because she had, she had had dementia at that time already by that time. She'd been there for a couple of years, you know, I mean, and she was happy still. She was always such a wonderful, happy, positive person, you know, but we had this beautiful weekend with her where everybody for the first time in like 10 years or so, maybe almost 15 had, was there that was her kids. And so we had that celebration and then, you know. Like about a month later, she got sick. She was in the hospital. And like my dad drove up to Connecticut from from Virginia. And, you know, three days later, she she passed away with all five of her kids there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the one person who really meant something to me who passed away. But like it was such a complete ending. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to finish with a couple fun questions. Okay. To leave on a <laughs> energizing note. Uh-huh. Do you have any crazy travel story? Well, this is okay. This is just, this is showing off my hustle. That's <laughs> what I'm going to say is like 
I went backpacking by myself at, when I was 16, 17, because mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to Italy. My parents, we'd been stationed in Italy before we moved to Oregon. It was the summer before I got, I was going away to college. And all summer long, I had been kind of saying, oh, I want to go to Italy too, because my younger brother actually was planned a trip with three of his friends to go for just two weeks. They got a rail pass and they were just, just going, Italy. just Italy. Okay. And my mom worked for the airlines, so, you know, we could I could if I wanted to get, like, a really cheap ticket. And she kept asking me, wait, are you going? Because I need to get this ticket if yeah. I am. And, like, maybe a month before I start college, I was like, I am going. <laughs> get me that ticket to Frankfurt or something where we had friends that had been stationed in Italy, but they were in Frankfurt now. So I could, like, fly in. They could pick me up. And then I could make my way to Italy, like, on a, on a, with a rail pass. But – my brother went for two weeks, came back. He had like a five-day rail pass. And they didn't, you know, they were like these little boxes that you just fill in when you're actually using, when you're actually traveling that day. And they would never fill it in unless they saw somebody coming to like take their ticket. Oh, okay. So he came back with like three empty days on this <laughs> rail pass. And I go to Fred Meyers and I get a box of erasable pens. <laughs> and I travel to Europe and it had like his name, his passport number, and I just scratched. <laughs> like I just like like put a line through his passport number and was like, oh, it's this now it's my passport <laughs> number. And 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 literally traveled around Europe for like three and a half weeks. With that same pass. Yeah, using a reasonable pen and like putting in a day like really lightly and then like showing it to the tra- <laughs> the train guy and then like erasing it. And it wasn't until it was literally like the last day I was traveling from from somewhere in Italy on yeah. like overnight all the way to Frankfurt to fly out. And some of uh, this train like ticketing guy like was like, you get off this, get off this train. You don't like, this is, this is bullshit. And, but, but I, I did, do? I didn't, I walked to the back of the train and I like hid in this. And cried. Like, yeah. Oh. But I made it all the way to the Germany. But like, I, I yeah. cannot believe, I mean, I can't believe I did that, but like, you know, I just, yeah, I did that. <laughs> Thank you so much for You're your welcome. time, for sharing your stories with us. I admire you so much for all that you've accomplished and for being oh. such a resourceful human being and for following through and saying like, oh, I want to play piano on this corner. And then boom, you do it. And then seven years later is this big project that brings joy to so many people yeah. in Portland. You're welcome. I'm, I mean, I'm. I remember in the first couple of years, a couple of people being like, like, why, why do you keep doing this thing? And do you think it's actually going to be your job or something, you know, or how could that ever, how could this ever turn into something like that? And I truly didn't even know how to answer, but I also was like, well, that's, that's not the point. I literally just keep wanting to see it happen again, because that payoff when I, when it's, when they're out there and I'm seeing these people just have moments with the pianos, like that's worth it. I'm showering you with all the prosperity (laughs) vibes. So you get all this money that you deserve. And well, thank you for following your gut and following through. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for listening. I want to share with you what I am taking away from my conversation with Megan. Number one, pay attention. Do the work that inspires you because the moments of magic make all the hard work worth it. Number two, ask the questions. You might be surprised of the answers and people's will to support you. Number three, done is better than perfect. Just do it. Number four, 
what might seem like something small to you could make someone else's day. Number five, if you don't get the grant or the job, do it again. Be persistent. Let the nose wash off your back and move forward. So they said, no, I'm going to go find a yes. Number six, be specific. Be clear about what you need help with. It's easier for people to help you if you tell them exactly what you need. Number seven, follow through. Do what you said you were going to do. Learn how to say no. So when you say yes, you do it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby.